I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. Here it is. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we come uh, humbly uh, before your throne of grace, asking for grace today. Lord, we just sang that it's time to come and to receive grace. Lord, uh, we come into this room uh, oftentimes tired, feeling guilty, overwhelmed, lost, burdened. Whatever the situation may be uh, this morning, Lord, I pray that you would provide the daily bread for us and exactly what we need, Lord. Um, we trust that uh, today is one of the good works that you prepared ahead of time for us to walk right into, and we just pray for help. We depend upon you as we just sang. Christ's name, amen. So we are in a, a teaching series right now uh, called Family Tradition, where we're looking at what the Bible has to say about uh, what we ought to be and do uh, as a church, right? Um, And the Bible is very clear that the church has a mission, a purpose, something to do. And we want to be about that as a church. We want to be about the things that God has for us and be doing exactly what he says uh, that we should be doing. Uh, Regardless of where you're at here this morning uh, with church or Bible or Jesus, I think we could all agree that we want something to do in life, right? We want uh, our life to have a purpose, have some meaning. Does anybody just love being bored in here this morning? Like, that's what you live for, to be bored. Sometimes I would like to be bored, to be honest with you, but um, yeah, no one likes that. We all want something to do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, we want something to do. Or maybe you're here, and man, your, your, your schedule is filled up with things. You know, you've got all kinds of stuff to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe even re- uh, regardless of that, you, you're restless. Or maybe the, the work that you're doing, you, you're bored with it, or doesn't feel like it matters, or maybe you feel unsettled in life um, in a lot of ways. And I think re- regardless, you can, somebody can relate to something I just said. You can relate to being at, at one of those places or not. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. So let's, let's think about it for a second. Here's, here's the big idea this morning, and it's this. There is work to be done. That is what we're going to talk about. There is work to be done. But before we talk about the work there is to be done, there's a couple things um, that we need to understand, a couple critical things that we understand. And the first is this. God's work is more important than ours. God's work is way more important than ours. One of the greatest lies in life is to believe that what you do for God uh, is the most important thing. That's what matters most. Or think about it like this. The lie is this, to believe that what you do in life matters the most. Right? And this is, this is religion. This is what religion is. Religion is what we do. And we tend to think about religions uh, like Buddhism, or maybe elaborate church buildings and rituals and, and things like that. Um, let me try this definition of religion out on you. 
All right, so it's by a guy named Robert Capon. He's not from Great Capon. Um, he's not somebody from over in Great Capon, but that's his last name, uh, uh, Robert Capon. He says this, the world is drowning in religion. It is lying full fathom 40. I had to look that up. That's a long way down in the ocean, I assume. In the cults of spiritual growth, physical health, psychological improvement, ethical probity. We'll explain this. Not to mention the religions of money, success, and upward mobility. Well, what does he say about religion here? Well, we're drowning in it. That means, this, that means religion is all around us. Uh, everywhere we, we were swimming in it, what does he say religion is? The cults of spiritual growth. That is modern spirituality. Most people in our culture say that they are spiritual. I don't think I need to belabor this, but our community is drowning in this type of religion. Uh, it is physical health. This is some people's preoccupation. That their health, staying healthy, Eating healthy, living healthy, not dying, doing, just being scared to death about uh, death. Some people, this is their God. It's a psychological improvement. This is, this is the culture that we live in. It is the culture that thinks that I need to be affirmed and I need to be pleased and to live out of my, my feelings. We think that uh, therapy and meds are the answer to our problems. Ethical uh, probity, he said, which is just simply, I had to look it up. I didn't know what it meant. Being a good person. Tell me that's not the community that we live in. It's just about being a good guy, a good person, a good family. Um, religion is money, success, upward mobility. It is cooking without animal fats. This was written a long time ago, but here's what he's saying. Food can be a god in all kinds of ways. That's where the world went wrong in the first place anyway. If you remember the Bible story, the whole um, fruit thing. Um, uh, when I was living in Richmond, Virginia, I was there uh, for 10 years and moved back home here. Um, my pastors did a couple sermons that were unrelated to one another that got some interesting responses. And the first was titled, Pets Are People Too? Question mark. Let me, let me just sum up that sermon for you. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not people. Uh, the second sermon was uh, about food, and it was called Foodolatry. It's a combination of the word food and the word idolatry, right? Food can be a god uh, in all kinds of different ways. Let me try another definition on you of religion because the greatest, one of the greatest lies in life is to believe that what you do matters most. We're trying to get you not to believe that lie. Here's another definition by a guy named Henry Van Til. He says, culture is religion externalize. Religion is the clothes that we wear as a culture. So uh, what is culture? It's what we do. Culture is all the stuff that we do. It is everything that we make as, as people. That's culture. So he's saying that religion is what you see every day, all day long. It's what we're swimming in. It's what we're drowning in. He's saying, let me give you an example. Uh, my girls uh, started taking horseback riding lessons, and we were at an event here in the community, and they were playing music in the background, you know, and I was listening to the music, and the music really touched me. I'm glad I had sunglasses on because it, it was bringing tears to my eyes, uh, just because the, the, the things they were talking about in the songs were so important, um, about community and family and God and the Bible and religion and all these different things, and uh, 
But I was thinking about it. Uh, I was reflecting on the music, and I was like, I'm, this is an education on what it means to live here in this, in this community, right? But it was, it was, the, the songs are saying, this is how we see life. This is how we view our community, right? And that is religion. Van Til, this guy is saying that religion is how we think about life. That's what religion is. It's your perspective on life. It's how you view yourself and your community. How y'all doing? Y'all doing all right? All right, let me give you another definition then. All right. Uh, by a friend of mine, Pastor Doug Ponder. He says, for the West today is a place where people are not only feel free to uh, determine what is true for themselves, but also assume that everyone constructs reality according to their own desires. And what is he saying here? Let me boil this down to you. Here's how people think in the world today. That we can be and do whatever we want. And nobody better tell us no. This is how people think in our world today. We've been uh, guinea pigs sitting, right? My, my mom has guinea pigs, so we're, we're watching them, and um, Hazel and Eleanor, and they have a cage, and they have a wheel, and they have little houses, and they got their little hay, and man, they are living their best life. They are, they, it's like a five-star resort up in there, right? And, um, you know, here's the deal, though. We created that life for them. But can you imagine Eleanor? Eleanor's fat. She's a big old guinea pig, right? I think about eating her own cages. It's a confession of mine. Um, so can you imagine Eleanor thinking, man, look at what I've done. Look at, look at the world that I have created here, right? That's, that's religion. That's what religion is. Religion is thinking, is, 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 is thinking that what we do is what, what matters most. It is man's attempt to live without God, the creator God. The greatest lie in life is that what you do in life is really what matters most, and it is a lie. It is a lie. Religion can't save you. And if you're here this morning, you're hearing the words that I'm saying, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. Uh, and, and, you know, this is why we do all this stuff. This is why religion exists in the first place. We know something's not right. We know something's off. We're not happy. You know, we're, not, we're restless, we're anxious, and so we do stuff thinking that it is going to make it better. But it doesn't. It just, we just keep digging the hole and getting get deeper and deeper. Listen, your situation without Jesus is so bad, I cannot even begin to describe it. It's so, if I just listened to what the Bible has to say about it, it's utterly devastating. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 puts it like this earlier in this chapter. This is talking about the state of humanity apart from Jesus. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit is now working in the, son, uh, the works, working in the disobedient. So here's the deal. The Bible says that you were created for life. You are not an accident. You were created by God to... To, for life and to have a relationship with God. So to think that what you do is what matters most is to live your life apart from God, and that is death. That is spiritual death. This means that you cannot save yourself because dead people, last time I checked, don't do a thing. There's no life. This is why religion is powerless to save. Spiritual death looks like 
all the ways of this world. Right? Listen, when I was not a Christian, you know what I thought? I'm just, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. That's what it is. It's just going with the flow, just going along with what everyone else uh, is doing. And I thought that was okay. I thought God knew my heart, and I was, was, I, I was going to be good with him. Right? And it, it, this is the result of believing the lie that what we do matters most. Spiritual death leads to physical death, which leads to separation from God from ever, from, for eternity. And, uh, and it's, it's a life that we choose for ourselves. So we need to be saved. Right? We need to be saved. And this is, this is why what God has done for you in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is infinitely more important than anything you could ever do. Or even if you do it for him, it still doesn't compare to what he's done for us. Look at our passage again, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. So this is written by a guy named the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church that he started, uh, a church in an ancient city called Ephesus. So he started this church. And chapters 1 and 2, and he is just detailing, unpacking what God has done to save us from spiritual death. And this is what God did for you. He sent his son from heaven who came down to save us. This is, what, this is how Jesus did that. He did that by bleeding for you and taking your death, the curse that was meant for you, your death he took upon himself at the cross, and he died. And they buried that man in the tomb. But you know what happened? He walked out. Believe it. That man walked out the grave and he is alive. That's what God did to save you. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin, deliver us. Jesus came to restore us. That means even though you created for life, your sin brought spiritual death, Jesus came to resurrect you spiritually so that you could be the person that you were always meant to be. Jesus came to heal you spiritually. Jesus died and rose so that we could be saved from the penalty of sin, which is the wrath of God, which is God saying, hands off. You want it your way? Have it your way. That's what Jesus came to get us and to bring us back. Jesus died to heal us from the power of sin, to set us free from its grips and its clutches and the slavery of sin. I mean, constantly going back to it and doing this being, and being blind to it. Jesus died so that one day, the presence of sin will be completely removed from your life and this world. Praise God. When he comes back, it's done. It's gone forever. This is what God has done for us. And it is called grace. You see that? For you are saved by grace. Now, these are church words that we throw around. A lot of times we don't know what we're talking about. What is grace? Think about it. There's a guy named Justin Holcomb. This is how he defines grace. Grace is the opposite of karma. I like that. Because karma is not a Christian idea. That's an Eastern idea. Karma is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's a big difference right there. That's a big, big difference. And only self-righteous people talk about getting karma because they think that they shouldn't get it. That person's getting karma. They're getting what they deserve. I'm not because I'm better than them. That's self-righteousness. Jesus described grace as God throwing this huge party 
right? Got thrown this huge party, and people getting invited who don't belong there. That's grace. Imagine if that happened to you. There's a huge party, exclusive party, all kinds of celebrities, famous athletes, politicians, rich people, wealthy people, powerful people from all around the world, and you show up. Now, I know how I would feel. I know exactly what would happen, right? I would do some crazy West Virginia thing up in there, and everyone <laughs> would be looking at me like I, I was nuts, right? And I would stick out like a sore thumb, right? That's a picture of grace. We don't belong there. God, God is inviting you to the infinite party that he has been having within himself for all of eternity, and you don't deserve to be there, and you don't belong there. But guess what? You're invited. So come on in. Come and receive. That's grace. That is grace. And this passage says, our passage says, it is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. See, what God has done for you is, in Jesus is a gift offered to you, not a reward. God is not looking for you to clean up, act right, and then earn it. No. He gives it to you right where you are. You don't belong no matter how much stuff you could do for God. Because what you do for him doesn't matter as far as earning that is. I love the old hymn, Rock of Ages. This is what it says. Not the labors of my hands, this is talking to God, can fulfill your law's demands. Listen, our hands cannot earn our forgiveness before God, our acceptance, our love before God. Look what it says. Could my zeal no respite? No. What is he talking about here? It doesn't matter how serious you are, how passionate you are, how much you, you pray and you work and you do all this and you do it. It doesn't matter how zealous you are. Look at this next line. Could my tears forever flow? I could cry, weep rivers of tears before God of, of just being sorry and how much you love him or whatever. Look at this next line. All for sin could not atone. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to save yourself is what he's saying. There's nothing that you can do to get your sins covered before God. Look at the next line. Thou must save. You must do it, God. God must save or no one is going to be saved. And he is a Savior. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jesus is our Savior. God has provided salvation. He's accomplished it in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only proper response to his grace is faith. Do you see that? Let's go to, go to uh, verse 8 again. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. You see that? Now what is faith? Faith is not knowing stuff about Jesus. Faith is not being comfortable at a church service. Faith is not knowing facts about the Bible. The demons know more about the Bible than you, by the way. The demons know way more about Jesus than this pastor up here. So the question is, what's the difference between what the demons know and what you know? What's the difference? Well, let me help you out. Let me help you out. Uh, last week, someone gave me a wonderful gift. And what I did was, I said, thank you, and I received it into my life, right? That's what you got to do with God's grace, because what God did for you has already been done at the cross, and you just need to receive it into your life. He offers the gift, 
What are you going to do with his, his offer? Are you going to receive it into your life or just know some stuff about it? Faith receives the gift of grace, the work that God has done for us in his son, Jesus. Faith is trusting God's promise to save you in Christ. Faith is trusting in God. It's believing him as a person. Right? It is believing in him that he's able to save you and, and giving your life into his care now. That's faith. Right? This is what religion is. Religion is control. It's trying to control things. It's trying to make it happen. It's about what you do. Faith is entrusting yourself to God's care. Right? Giving your life over to him. The Bible says that before the world began, that your salvation was planned by God. And then he sent Jesus on a mission to accomplish your salvation. And you know what? He did this a long time before you were thought of. Like 2,000 years ago. It, it, he did it, and it is finished. So if God planned it, Jesus accomplished it, right? There's nothing that you can do to earn it. And if you have it, here's what that means. You can't lose it. Praise God for that. If God planned it, he planned your salvation to save you. He sent his son to accomplish that. There's nothing, not the labor of your hands can keep you saved or get you saved. You can't lose it if you are saved. Here's what that means. There's no room for us to boast in ourselves. There's no room for any pride or arrogance or self-righteousness. There's only room for boasting in him. And praising God for, for his grace in Christ Jesus. That's number one. You know, and, and baptism is a picture of all this. So when these folks come this morning and they, and they stand here, them going into that water is a picture of them being spiritually dead. But them coming up out of the water is a beautiful picture of how it, someone has to raise them to new life. And God has done for that for them in Christ. These people are saying, hey, this is what God has done for me. Right? And they're entrusting themselves uh, to his care. And if you are here this morning and you're hearing my words and you want to receive Jesus into your life and you want to get saved, you, you want to be baptized here this morning, you didn't plan to get baptized, but we're ready for you. We got clothes in the back. We got towels in the back. All you got to do is at the end of the sermon, you go back with everyone else and you, you go ahead and get yourself baptized here this morning. We are ready for you. Number two, there's work to be done but there are things that are critical that we have to understand. And this is the second thing. Our work relies on God's work. Our work relies on God's work. So let's look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is so amazing. Listen, what God has done for us in Jesus means that we are his craftsmanship. Do you see that we are his workmanship? Right? My, we inherited some uh, beautiful uh, antiques from my, my grandmother, and they are works of art, right? They're, they're just handmade, handcrafted, beautiful craftsmanship. That is you in Christ, right? Now, I, I, don't, I don't particularly wake up every morning and think, man, I am, I am God's craftsmanship this morning, right? I think that I'm disposable. I'm trash, and I'm, I'm messed up. Right? And I look at all my faults and flaws. But this says, this is what's true about us if you are saved. You are God's craftsmanship, a work of art in Christ. 
I was talking about that gift that I was given. The gift that I was given was not meant to be hung up on a shelf and to, to be looked at or to be stored away and not used. It was meant to be used. And the same is true for us. We are God's work, his craftsmanship, but we have a purpose created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see that? We are God's work, his craftsmanship, to go out and do some craftsmanship in the world. Right? So there is work to be done. There is good work. God has good work for you to do. He has work for you to do. What is that? What are the good works that God has for us to do? What is that? We don't have to guess. The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us exactly what we're supposed to do. As Christians, as a church, we don't have to fiddle around with it and figure it out. It, it, it's there. It's clear. And listen, it's much bigger than what you often hear in church. I've been a Christian for a while. I've been a lot of, around a lot of different churches and pastors and Christians. It's much bigger than what you all. What you often hear is that the mission of the church is simply evangelism. Right? And, and if you're new with us, you're visiting with us, we care about evangelism. We care about sharing the gospel and seeing people get baptized. And they're going to get baptized this morning. How do you think they, how do you think they got to this point? They got evangelized somehow. That is, someone told them about Jesus. But God's work, God's mission envelops the entire planet. Right? It, it is much bigger. It is so mind-blowing and breathtaking. So, what is it? Well, it looks like planting good churches. That's number one. This is the mission of the church, by the way. The mission of the church was not, hey, you go out by yourself and you tell everybody about Jesus. Well, well maybe, yeah, we do need to be telling people about Jesus. But, okay, Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples, says, hey, go make disciples of all nations. Right? Go and make apprentices of Jesus. And you know what they did? We'll turn the page, the book of Acts. What did they do? They went out and planted good churches. That's how they fulfilled the great commission. Um, we, uh, this year, grew some, seed, uh, some plants from seed, right? And, and that takes a lot of nurturing, a lot of care. And, you know, uh, my wife did it. I didn't do it. I just watched. But uh, it took a lot of nurturing. When the time was right, we took them outside and we planted them. And now we are harvesting the fruit. We're tasting the fruit uh, from uh, the labor. And this is exactly what we want to do here as a church. In 2020, we planted the gospel here in this community. And we are trying to nurture that. We are trying to care for that and see it grow, right? And, and today, you know what? When these folks line up here to get baptized, you know what we're doing? Celebrating the harvest. Celebrating the fruit. You can taste it. Taste it for yourself um, here this morning. And we want that continue to grow, right? We want to continue to see that spread and grow. This means good churches, not bad ones. Healthy churches, not unhealthy churches. And you know, we shouldn't be surprised about this. The Bible talks about this stuff. Let's go home and read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. You'll see it's in there. That's just one place. You guys okay if we talk about it? Paula gave me permission. I'm going for it. All right. Every, every building with the name church on it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good one or that it's a church at all because 
A building is not a church. It's the people with inside. A church is people that have committed their lives to Jesus, to his care, and they have covenanted, committed their lives to one another to be on mission for Christ. That is a very basic definition of church. Jesus has is Lord over his church. He has absolute rights over the church and tells us what a good church looks like. So here it is. I'll just give you a couple things. Good churches are laser-like focus and absolutely clear about this salvation that I just preached to you. They are clear about the gospel. We just preached about that two weeks ago. Good churches are constantly preaching the gospel because that's what Jesus did. Literally, Jesus walked out the gate and says this. All right, folks. Thomas fulfilled the kingdom of God his hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Right? That's what, that was Jesus' message. It was the good news of, of the kingdom. Good churches are led by biblically qualified male pastors and are absolutely unashamed about that. This is what the scriptures say. Right? The Bible's clear about this. If you want to read about it, Acts chapter 20, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter 5. Pastors ought to be able to do what I just did. Rattle it off. Baby, right there it is. It's in the book. Right? The reason for this is because good churches know the difference between men and women. We are deeply confused about this as a society and as a culture and as churches. God created us in his image, male and female. He created them. This means that both men and women have equal value and dignity before God. He loves us both, but we have radically different jobs to do. In the church, in the home, and in the world. This is why the office of pastor is reserved for men, qualified biblically. Good churches provide compassionate counseling and care. All right, we do that here. Listen, if you're going through something, you're struggling, you're going through hard times, you've got a sin struggle, you've got a marriage problem, whatever it is, we are here for you. It is free. You don't have to pay for it. Listen, good churches don't say, hey, all right, let me give you to the world and let them tell you about who you are and about your problems, about how to make it right and all that. No, we care for one another. That's grace. Good churches um, care about being more like Christ. They care about holiness and godliness and killing sin and repentance and grow. Listen, we're not, we're not there yet, but we're pressing on, right? We're trying our best. We're, we're doing as, working as hard as we can to be like Jesus in our lives. Good churches are courageous, especially now when these times call for courageous voices and for somebody to please say something. Yes. Good churches are serious about training up the next generation of pastors and church planters, that's what we want to be about as a church. This is why we partner with organizations like Grimke Seminary. Because we want to work together with people that are doing good work to see the gospel go forth all around this country and all around this world. Now that's number one. Y'all still with me? Number two, it looks like what are the good works that God has for us? It looks like raising good families. This is all right here in the book of Ephesians. This means having Christian marriages. Yes, that means Jesus is a part of your marriage. He's up in there, and he's Lord over your marriage. This means Christians don't get divorced. We're in it till death do us part. Because Jesus doesn't divorce us. 
He didn't let us go. So we stick it out. And we repent of not loving each other. And we make it right. Jesus comes after us. We run away. Our home ought to be a mini church. All right, that's what it ought to be. Our homes ought to be little sanctuaries where we're loving one another and we're obeying Christ and we're reading the Bible and we're praying and stuff and we're, we're, we're trying. Listen, my family is not perfect, by the way, but we want to be a Christian family. This means husbands taking the initiative to lead in everything. Not wife saying, no, men lead in everything. Absolutely. And then this looks like the wife responding to that initiative with wisdom. And I'm so thankful for my wife. Man, she is full of wisdom and counsel all the time, you know. I can't lead, lead without, her, without her help. She's a necessary support. But it does look like for the ladies following that leadership. It looks like raising up godly children. That's the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is for our kids to know Christ, right, and for them to be godly, not just for them to make a profession of faith and get baptized, but to be substantial people. This means raising girls to be girls, raising girls to be feminine, raising young men to be godly, masculine men, because Christians know the difference between men and women. And you know what? They don't just pop out like that. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes training. It takes discipleship. It means look like your, your home being a place of life. Life ought to be coming out of your home, not death. Love ought to be coming out of your home, not hate. All these things. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity. This is the good work. The mission is much bigger than just telling someone about Jesus. It's about being a certain type of people. It's about your home being a place of fruitfulness for Jesus and your home having a mission Listen, your home is about these good works. It is about doing these things. All mission for Jesus. Number three, it looks like providing good education. That's right here in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, and here's how it is. Listen, it's not like Jesus is Lord over church stuff, and then we got education over here, and somehow he ain't got nothing to say about that. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is Lord over everything. Not one thing that you can say that's in this whole world that Jesus is not over and got something to say about it. And you know what? We have to figure that out as Christians. We have to figure out how to do this. It's not easy. It is dad's responsibility to make sure this happens. You see that? Who's this speaking to here? Fathers, right? Does it say um, the government? Can you, can you imagine entrusting the education of your kids to the government? Lord Jesus, help us, right? Help us, right? So, listen, this is speaking to fathers. Guess what? I'm a father. I have to, I have to figure out how to obey Jesus here, right? We, and we're here to help one another. We're here to serve. One. This is not easy to do. It's not easy to figure out, but listen, God is calling Christian men and Christian men and women in homes to figure this out, right? Because this is a part of raising your kids to be godly children. Uh, we mentioned uh, recently there was a Harvard professor, 
that said that 2 plus 2 equals 5. And that's true for some people. Now, he had to get an education to learn that. Um, but let me tell you what Harvard said in 1636 when the school was founded in their rules and precepts. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and what his study, studies is. You want to know what your, your, your life is all about and what education is all about? Here's what it is, to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. That just makes sense. Since Jesus is God, Jesus made everything, therefore Jesus knows how everything works best, and he has told us clearly and plainly in the Scriptures about all these things. Therefore, it only makes sense that Jesus is the source of all sound knowledge and learning. So that means 2 plus 2 equals 4. Okay. You guys, you guys all right? All right, number four. Number four, it means being a good employee and boss. God created the world. God created the universe in six days through work. And then he took a day off. This ought to be the pattern for Christians. Six on and one off. Let me show you. Exodus 34, 21. You are to labor six days, but you must rest on the seventh day. So this means there's work to be done. That's a lot of work. There's work to be done. Six days, but then you better take a day off. All right, you got to take a day off. There uh, is work to be done. That's six days of it. Do you guys see that? Six days. Not one. Not two. Not three. Not four. Not even five. Six. Six days. And it does say days, right? Six whole days of work. Six whole days of work, right? And that's a good thing. Remember, we're talking about the good works that God has for us to do. These are the good things that he has to do. It's, it's in Ephesians chapter 6. Read about it, right? Work was given to humanity prior to the fall of humanity and sin. God was at work. He was working. And then he put Adam in the garden. He put him in there and he says, I'm worried. I want you to work it and I want you to keep it. This means work is a gift from God. It is a blessing. It is not a curse. Laziness is a curse. Making work your God and being a workaholic and not taking a day off, that's a curse. Good work means hard work, quality work, not lying, cheating, stealing, as bosses or employees. This means there's good work to do on the weekend. Praise God for that. There's all kinds of good stuff to do around the house or whatever you got going on. This means if you're retired here, there is good work to be done. And you might be thinking, man, this sounds tiring. Yeah, it is. And guess what? You're not going to be in trouble if you work six days. It keeps you out of all kinds of trouble. You'd be too tired to get in trouble. And it is a blessing. I, this Friday, I turned the light off in my work. I walked out the door. And I said, thank you, Lord, for the good work that you've been able to give me this week. Thank you. And yes, I am ready for a day off. I'm ready to go lay in the river tomorrow and take this day off. There's work to be done. And here's why. God just doesn't want to wear you out and for you to be tired. 
God accomplishes his work through your work. Think about that. The Bible says we are his co-workers. What in the world? What a gift. We get to work with God every day. I'm going to work. Yeah, man, God's my co-worker. This is crazy. We get to work alongside him. We get to be the tool in his hand to accomplish his purposes in the world. God has all kinds of good stuff for us to do. We'll just mention a couple of them here. Let me read to you Psalm 128, verse 2 through 3. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. God gave you two hands. That means he's got work for you to do. And when you work with these hands, you get to benefit from it. Look what it says. You will be happy, and it will go well with you. Don't you want that? Well, you got to get down with the good works that God has for you. And look at this. You benefit from it, but other people are blessed. Look at this. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house if you do these good works. You're a part of a good church. You want to have a good home. You want a good education for your kids and for yourself. All right? And you want, to be a, you want to do good work six days a week. And your children will be like young olive trees around your table. We'll end with this. Verse 10. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at this. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. In other words, your life has been booby-trapped with good works for you to do. That's awesome. We got vacation coming up at the end of this month, and I'm looking forward to that, right? And we planned it beforehand, and we've already planned some stuff that we're going to do. And I'm excited about that, right? It's going, to be, it's going to be amazing. Before the world began, God was there. He's always been there. And he loved you. He loved you into existence and created you. And he planned to save you. And he's done that, right? And he's planned stuff for you to do. He's planned good works for you to do, to walk right into them. Think about that. Think that God has stuff for you to do. And you're, 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 you're a part of what he's doing uh, in the world. See, this is, this is what, what we're trying to do as a church. And the way to walk into the things that God has planned for you is just jumping in on what he clearly says you ought to be doing in the Scriptures, like those four things we just mentioned. And then you walk right smack. Oh, there it is. Right? This is God's work. This whole thing up here that we just mentioned is all about what he has done for us. The work that he has accomplished. And it is absolutely glorious. What a gift. What a gift from God. It's all of grace. First to the last. And we're going to respond.